Welcome back, folks, to Big Mama Hex Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with one of my beloved favorite people in our Pennsylvania Dutch community is Inga Williams, and she is a pastor at Frieden's Church in Charlottesville. And I know Inga through the Sanger Corps, which is a wonderful group of Pennsylvania Dutch singers that has been around a very long time. I don't know, Inga, do you know how long it's been around? Mm. Many, many years a well-established group of singers and an incredible group of people currently that's involved. And they have, um, they show at the Pennsylvania German, geez, is it Pennsylvania German hour? Is that just it? Okay. Um, every month on BCTV and that's how we met. And um, Inga and I met that way. And that was really neat to sing with them for a couple months. And then um, we got to know each other online as well. And I often will tune into her um, Zoom services for her church because they're very inspirational. And, and I like the way you frame things in a contemporary context. So I really appreciate that a lot as a, a very contemporary centered person. So welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to see you and thank you for taking the time. Yeah, we've been trying to do this for a while, Rachel, so it's really nice. Yes, I appreciate your patience and flexibility, and um, it's just nice, you know, when the time is right, it happens, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so um, so let's get started with kind of how we know each other, and then we'll go from there, because there are a lot of things that I don't know about you that I'd like to know more. For example, I know that you're a musician, and I'd like to know more about that, and also just how, um, I know you have told us or told me before, and it's on Facebook that you're from Michigan. And how did you learn the Pennsylvania Dutch dialect? And is it something that you learned through the core? And and a little bit more about that. I'm just very interested because, you know, in the core, there's there's definitely scaffolding of, of people that have <laughs> the the um, dialect down, and some people that are newbies like myself. And you know, we just said they're kind of like, <laughs> but. Um, you know, it always sounded like you really knew your stuff. So can you tell us more about that? So, all right. So there are kind of two strains. So the first is that um, my name is Inga, right? And so I have a Germanic, just ethnic background. So my mother's yeah. parents came um, from Europe after World War II. And okay. they, my parents wanted to name me something that her parents could pronounce. So that's why I'm named Aww. Inga. And um so I grew up with like listening to German at home and things like that. And then when I was 16, I became an exchange student and I lived in Germany for uh, a year then. And then I went wow. back after English. So I speak high German. Um, and both times I was in the former East Germany and their dialect is very different. Um, mm. than and um, so when I got here, I, I didn't know anything about Berks County. Like I didn't even know where Allentown was um, because yeah. Was like before my time, and so I had no idea what I was getting into. And I remember the first time I was at a church in Shoemakersville, and somebody walked up and he had this strange accent. He was speaking English, but a strange accent. I had no idea what was going on. And then um, when I got to Charlottesville, people would say they're from Strasstown, and then I realized that they spoke this dialect of German. And so it took me a couple of years, maybe, but eventually I just could tune my ear to figure out, for the most part, what was being said, um, including some of my the older women in the congregation would be scolding their husbands and I have to say, you better watch out, I understand more than you think. Um, so then I tell my people now, ich bin am Lana, I'm just learning. So um, mm -hmm. seems like in the, the German choir, um, if we're singing high German, people ask me for um, advice and otherwise I have to ask them. So John Messner, who is a member of the choir, I think an original member. So I think yeah. 30 years maybe or something he invited yeah, me i should look it up i'm sorry you go on and i'm going to look it up while you're talking yeah i'm I sure it's on here sometime around there maybe the i think it's the early 90s so yeah I in any case so. and then i couldn't follow along very well with the music and so i invited my friend uh yodeling betty to come because she speaks Dutch yes! and so um so that was really fun so she's yeah. the best i love her she is she's a wonderful i love her so much her and dave klein when they get together it's so much fun yeah, she's impressive. I, anybody that can yodel at 88 like that is really impressive. The energy that woman has, it's amazing. Yep, absolutely. And it's definitely contagious. So what brought you to the area originally? Because your family didn't move from Michigan to here, did they? Or was it part of 
your training to become a pastor. Can you kind of walk us through that? I'm very unfamiliar with it, so I apologize for any ignorant questions that I have, but is that kind of what led you to this area? Absolutely. So I graduated from seminary in 2014, and um, there is something called the assignment process. So um, I belong to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and so the bishops get together and kind of pass you around like a used car salesman (laughs) to what the United States. Uh, very holy process, but sort of like a used car sale. And so um, we'll end up all over. And I ended up um, in the northeastern region of the U.S. and then from there in um, Brooks County. So, and um, there's a joke um, that, you know, Brooks County is the, the densest Lutheran population around. But I mean, it's true. Like my home synod has 110 congregations in Michigan, wow. which is almost the entire state. And I think Brooks County has about 80 itself. So there are Lutheran churches on almost every corner of our county. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, my family historically was UCC, but it's so funny because my husband's family was Lutheran and there'd always be the churches next to each other. And I always really never understood that. Um, that's very interesting. I guess it was friendly enough that it would be like that, right? Yeah, so, you know, it's sort of a long story, but um, Muhlenberg in his journals talks about the fact that there would be quote-unquote intermarriage and what he meant by that was that reformed people were (laughs) and so i mean and i have a lot of parishioners who will tell me this story too that there were like eight kids and some of them got confirmed ucc or some lutheran and um, oh they kind of like divided and decided yeah so well yeah and they decide you know when they came over it it was an economical decision i think often Mm. like all right let's um you know build a church together because it'll be cheaper and then at some point the Lutheran and the UCC the synods they didn't really want that and so then they would split but there's still quite right. a few around um, but it's very unique to this area at least in my experience yeah I know um and I'm not sure how familiar you are with like the Ole Valley area but I know our family's Salem UCC is right next to a Lutheran church like right next to it it's really interesting and I had never really observed that as a child because I grew up in Lower Bucks County which was um so many different um, religions, and and I don't really remember. I where the town that I grew up in was very Catholic, and then we were um, a bunch of different things. We were sometimes Methodist, and then my mom belonged to a really cool progressive church. Um, I think it actually was a UCC church, if I remember correctly. But um, I know I introduced her to your sermon as well, and she really enjoyed it as well. And, and we both said, like, oh, if it were just a little closer, it's a little bit far for us with all of the incredible things that are always happening, but you know, you have, yeah, (laughs) the schlepping of it all. (laughs) You have a a very, um, like a magnetic presence and a very warm and welcoming and safe. You feel very safe to me. And, And I'm coming from kind of a different background where religious experiences weren't always very welcoming or, um, accepting for us in in my past which kind of turned me off which is really sad which I'm, I'm actually in the middle of kind of working out which is another reason I sort of wanted to include you in in the general discussion of things that I'm sort of um, making my way through which I think a lot of people are feeling a bit lost and, and looking for just like with heritage and culture looking for connectedness and belonging and I did I feel that way when I, when I did attend some of the services that it felt like a very welcoming congregation and your service and your presence. And I don't really necessarily feel um, that a denomination really is that important as long as you have that connection and the person who's delivering that service and sermon makes you feel that way, you know, so to each his own, whatever way that you connect and feel safest. I did get that feeling from you though. And I thought, well, I'm really enjoying this. And my mom and I always talk about it because we both, we've, we've experienced a lot of different services and we both really like um, the Quakers service, but we miss the singing. So (laughs) it's so lovely in in the midst of COVID to hear your, um, your beautiful voice and your, and your pianist. Um, I hope I'm saying it right. And it's not an organist. I'm so bad at this. Yeah. Thing. Usually this music is not yeah. my thing. Okay. It's all good. So like Carol, Carol would really get on me like, no. True. Well, she's both. She does both. <laughs> she is both. Um, but it was just so uplifting in such a dark, dark time. And I'll tell you what, one thing in my um, very, 
oh, what's the word that I could use for it? Well, I'm an Aquarius, first of all, but in my sort of um, non-labeling way or non-committal way, um, whenever I'm in crisis, I always pray to Jesus right away. Like it's just from childhood, it's just an automatic thing that I do. And, and, and it's like a very strange thing that I do, which I'm probably sharing way too much of me cut this. But every time I see like a roadkill, ever since I was a kid, this is really weird, Inga. I'm I glad I'm drawing out these memories. I'm telling you because I feel so safe with you, but I just want to like, <laughs> it's like, you have to find what works for you and it doesn't have to be a certain fit or whatever. Like I can come and worship with you and not feel like this weight of needing to subscribe to everything. And I, I'm trying to get that message out to people that it's like, you don't have to, you can just, you can, you can go when you need, when you need to be refilled, you know? And it's not like a, a disrespectful thing. Like some people just have a hard time committing because of past trauma with like other religious experiences and, and such. But what I do that's weird, I have to tell you, yeah, yeah, yeah. kid, I have always been a very like empathetic person and like very always had a hard time with like animals dying and stuff. I will bless myself like legit Catholic style every time I see a roadkill and I haven't done it since a kid and my kids think I am the weirdest person ever. They're like, what are you doing first of all? And like, how does this have anything to do with like how you are raising us? But it's so funny because I don't, I learned it from my friend who mm. happened to be being raised a pagan. It's like very strange she taught me this um when i was like 14 and then i ended up going to catholic school for like one year during a very very tough time in my life and kind of um i enjoyed the ritual of it but it was it felt so heavy and and so many expectations for me but now hunter my husband always presents lutherans as sort of like a middle ground between you know um sort of my mom's hippie church that i grew up in and then the catholics and there's this he always says the ritual is so important still. And that I really appreciate, you know, that idea of even when I talk about when I sit down to paint, it's like a ritual. And, you know, I kind of go through these different ritualistic steps to get myself in the right headspace. So I, I really appreciate that about, um, I've never really attended a Lutheran service, but I do find that really intriguing. But how, how do you meet, how do you meet people that are in this sort of position as a pastor? And I, I didn't mean to like, just fast forward right through your journey, but I am kind of curious about that um, because you aren't a pushy person. You aren't overwhelming. You don't feel like um, somebody who would, who would be pushing their beliefs onto someone. So I feel like that must, like I said, the magnetism must draw people in to feel very safe with you. So do you, do you find that a lot? Um, in your career or in your path? Well, I think it's a really complicated time for religion, you know, and yes. I think for me, part of my own journey um, helps me just to understand that a little. Yeah. So, and, um, so, you know, you or just like subscribe totally. And so I, um, you know, I didn't I mean, I would go to church sometimes, but I wasn't one of those kids that was like always a campus ministry or something. And so right. I, it wasn't really for me until I, I had like a spiritual crisis in college. And a lot of that had to do with realizing some of the environmental stuff that we were dealing with. And after that, um, I don't know, I think I took, I took solace from the church. And I also, um, I discovered that faith is really important <laughs> thing to have. Yeah. Know? and um across my, the board too you know yeah. not just in religion but in people and in yourself a hundred percent yeah and you know being in germany for me was really formative in terms i was 16 when i went over as an exchange student and um, spent my senior year of high school there and for example like the season of advent i sort of knew yeah. that as a school, but when you're in germany advent is just uh, it's all around you you breathe it and you you know wow. you and you smell the roasting almonds and you have special tea time with your family and you have rituals and things like that. So, you know, that um, being connected to spirituality was really interesting for me as an exchange student and, um, and certainly deepened my own sense of what faith is. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think people have to make their own choices about religious practice and, um, yeah my job I think in part is to share where I'm coming from and to 
and to share my journey, but it, it isn't to push that journey onto anyone. And, you know, I, um, I spent a semester in the Middle East, like, you know, I have friends that are all different kinds of religions. So, mm -hmm. and I was really intrigued by all that. I loved learning about that, especially when I was younger, like in yeah. my, and, um, you know, every religion has something different to offer. And I, oh, yeah. I've ended up finding myself in the tradition that I belong to. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's certainly, it's a gift to me, but it's a journey for everyone. And so I'm there to accompany people in the way. Yeah. I mean, I guess, um, particularly during COVID, um, it just, it kind of, I felt like put everyone at a standstill. Like we were all kind of put on pause and having the time to have to self-reflect must have been very, very difficult for a lot of people. I know it was for me because I was always very busy and was able to kind of like just shove down like any of my own issues and stuff. And I know it came to the surface for me during this year that I just needed to be less non-committal and be more committal, even in just, um, even in just committing to being open-minded instead of, you know, identifying as agnostic because of things that happened when I was a kid that is just ridiculous to continue to let dictate the way you receive the way other people worship. And I'm, I'm also a very open person. Like I have people very close to me in the pagan community and also in the, um, in all kinds of religions. I don't really have any close friends that are Muslim. I don't know much about it, but, um, I know that, um, you know, there's a lot of common threads as well, you know, and, uh, just coming, at the end of the day, you know, seeing that, that at the end of the day, you know, it's all offering us hope and, and, and light and, and safety at the end of the day, you know, which I think is really important to, um, to consider, especially when you're speaking about religion, especially around kids and stuff, because I, I hear some of my friends that are sort of in my same age group that are parents. And even maybe as a teacher, I notice more, um, just, the hateful language, even, even in politics, you know, like it doesn't make it better if you're being hateful as well against someone you feel hateful. Yep. Yep. It's, it's really, really tricky. And I loved your one sermon. And of course I won't be able to like quote it or anything, but you, you talked about Bernie Sanders and <laughs> he, and, and you talked about it in such a thoughtful way about, about the memes that were going around with him being all snuggled up. And, you know, it's so funny because I am such a, like, overthinker and highly sensitive person. I did feel, like, a little uncomfortable with this. Like, I don't know. I feel really fun, like, enjoying this joke when really he's just a super low-key guy, like, in some respects or whatever. But um, I just thought it was really interesting. I, I love when pastors tie in contemporary things to help us be able to connect. And, you know, as a teacher, that's something that I do as well, especially with culture, because we're talking about culture that happened 300, 400 years ago, maybe thousands of years ago. And how can our kiddos now connect with that? So I see that as like a commonality. And, and so, so we stopped, we were talking about how you kind of ended up in this area. And then, so I guess I'd like to know more about um, your musical background, because I know that you play, I want to say the guitar, am I right? <laughs> the, banjo. the banjo. The banjo, the banjo, the banjo. I'm sorry. This is COVID brain. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to be honest, I stayed up last night full, full on all nighter. I haven't done it since like my thirties and, uh, <laughs> to get my daughter's teacher gifts done. Cause we did hex signs and I was pushing and I'm like, oh, I should really go to bed. Cause I'm like way too old. <laughs> and then I just did it. And I was like, oh, I guess I made it through. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so Imagine. I'm sorry. I have COVID brain and end of school year brain, but, um, the banjo, the banjo, the banjo. How did you learn the banjo? Yeah. So, um, I just became interested. I guess I liked bluegrass when I was in high school. And oh, yeah. my dad like found a banjo on eBay when I was 16. <laughs> so I bought this banjo. And then my mom had a friend who was a banjo player and she recommended that we get Pete Seeger's instruction manual. And oh, so wow. that I learned and it was a wonderful introduction of folk music in general. Um, and then his um, manual started with up-picking and then with frailing and didn't get to bluegrass until later in the manual. And I just never progressed that far. So I do what's called hammer uh, banjo so you you strike down rather than plucking with your fingers like this so um gotcha. tends to be more like dance music than um performance music um so 
And being in Berks County has been really good for me um, with the banjo. I took lessons from Tom Druckenmiller, who's over at Meadowood Music, and they live in the Lehigh oh, Valley. Wow. And um, so that has helped me. And, you know, now there's jamming and things around like that, at least pre-COVID. So, um, yeah. yeah, and I know Claudia that way, too, who also sings in the, the core. Yes. So, yeah. Claudia is one of my most favorite people ever. She's a and wonderful woman. Yeah. Yep. She's just, like, all the best of all of the best of the progressive parts, the best of honoring the heritage and honoring the past. I mean, I just, I adore Claudia so much. She even, um, she helped me with my daughter for special ed advocacy. She's just like all around wonderful, wonderful lady. Yeah, the Sanger Corps, I really miss, miss the folks that were involved in that. And I remember being really intimidated because you know, I had an older Pepsi Dutch grandmother and she was not always a friendly person. <laughs> so I remember being a little bit intimidated and thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to be like, who's this girl? And, and she doesn't know Dutch and stuff. But no, it wasn't like that at all. People were very, very kind and super welcoming. And, and I love getting emails from Marianne. She's just the kindest person ever. She'll mm. send emails for like every holiday and stuff. And I, I miss, I miss you folks so much. So do you know what's going on with them? Are they going to be starting things back up again? I don't think we've really talked about it. I'm, I imagine that probably a lot of them are vaccinated. Um, yeah. But it's still anxious because singing is, you know, the super spreading. Yeah. And like kids too, you're the same boat as you, right? Where who knows? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard in our area. I feel like um, particularly... I mean, I haven't really like left our area, but it feels like people have kind of just decided they can't deal with it anymore. And mm -hmm. they just kind of a bit abandoned. Um, and I'm sure that's a part of trauma and dealing with the crisis for so long, the mental load, but it's also, you know, as a person who is always advocating for kids, it's really hard to watch because, you know, we want to keep everybody safe, but I mean, you know, the numbers are really good and low, which is great and positive, but it's just such an un, it's just such an un, um, unprecedented time and also uncomfortable because the future's so unsure and you want to be really excited to return to more normal things, right? Like, I think your congregation's back in-house and yeah. has been for some time now, right? Yeah, we started back in on Easter. Um, okay. It's been kind of a slow return, but you know, even some of the teenagers are getting vaccinated now. And what yes. I've noticed is that um, most people above the age of 65 are vaccinated in the congregations. Yeah. And you know, they were the ones we were uh, most worried about. And yes. um, the teeny weeny kids are coming back too because they just can't sit through the screen. So, you know, that's been a joy also to have the, the little, oh, little yeah. Um So yeah, it's been trying certainly for yeah. everyone. You know, I'm basically in the business of gathering people together, and so yeah. it's been a trying time for the church. So. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to imagine how everyone survived this. You know, yeah. it's very difficult. So, you know, I give you know big props to all the churches that got the necessary technology together and started um, live streaming, which was actually really pleasant for people like myself who generally would probably not find themselves attending church otherwise. So it's, it's actually really a nice outreach. And I found in a couple different areas, including a dance class my daughter took um, with a New York Boomba band. Um, wow. It's really cool. Like just some of the opportunities and even like I was doing go-go with somebody from England. <laughs> like, yep, yep. it's really neat how that has kind of and presented itself as an opportunity for outreach. And also imagining going through this, wow, you look so fancy. Hi. Imagining going through this, my kids are celebrating their last day, um, in the 20s without technology and how different it would be and how blessed we are, really. I mean. Yep, I felt that yeah. way. And kudos to the older people in my congregation. We have a 90-year-old who figured out how to get on Facebook and watch the services, oh, you know, so it's so just so awesome. great. <laughs> yeah. So exciting. That must yep. feel so great to them, too, you know? Yeah, they're really proud of themselves. They wear their iPhone around their neck, you know, like that. That is so cool. So cool. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I just found out from another podcast that um, we're considered um, the geriatric millennials. <laughs> I 
And I'm like, what? Which I'm not, I don't even hate it. I, I'm like, okay with it. Because you know, it's neat about us. Um, I was born in 1981. I think it's 80 to like 90. Um, we grew up with both analog technology or lack of technology and technology technology. So we remember Commodore 64s and, you know, dial telephones and, and, and um, we can navigate sort of that world, which is neat. And it's interesting to see young people not know any different and just be so blown away when, when you say, oh, no, there's no Internet in the car, honey. Like, I'm so sorry. It doesn't work like that <laughs> when really there is, but they don't need to know about it. But it's so it's such an interesting time to be alive, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Changing so fast. And I mean, I like that about being a pastor, too. Like I get a lot of stories. Um, yes. It's just it's a real uh, blessing for me to, to hear about, I mean, talk about pre-technology days. I mean, especially people before, born before World War II, right? Just they grew up yeah. in a different world, especially around here. Um, so that's been a, a real joy for me to hear their stories. Yeah, I mean, I just, when we were first quarantining and isolating, I just kept going back to, um, oh my gosh, now I'm gonna blank on her name. I can, Anne Frank. They just kept thinking about how people were complaining and, and it just felt really hopeless, the entitlement when, you know, you have food security, you have safety security, you just really have to stay indoors and mask and, you know, just get through this. But it's, you know, you have the ability to go pick up food at Walmart or get on the internet and do your job from home. And it just felt really, I think for me in this time, it just, there was like a real loss of uh, hope and humanity really. And it was hard. It was really hard. And I just wonder, I guess, from your perspective as a pastor and someone who, who walks a life of faith and hope, mm -hmm. what kind of message do you have for people who are feeling, um, you know, kind of you're out of the crisis mode now, you're not sort of in crisis hysteria. And now we're sort of trying to navigate this next normal, I guess they're calling it, and how to navigate uh, the loss of faith and hope and humanity and how to how to sort of like mend that wound or start to heal that and, and to find that hope again because I like to I like to feel hopeful in people and now that we can't connect with people that that make you feel good all the time it's really tricky I mean is that something that you think about a lot when you're writing sermons and well one of the things I think about is just trying to um reach people at the level of their humanity. And so, you know, I think we do live in an era where it's easy to dehumanize people that are other mm. in a lot of different ways. And I don't know about you, Rachel, but I'm like, I think more people than we realize actually straddle different worlds. And um, yes. we don't think about that. And um, not everyone is meant to be a bridge builder. Um, so mm. I'm people you know it's um too risky um but there are some of us and i put myself in this camp that are in different worlds um whether it's politically or religiously and to try to figure out how to be honest about where you're coming from and have integrity in that um while the same not cutting off people who you disagree with is, is hard work um yes i think it should be acknowledged as such and um it's yes. one of the way, reasons I think that actually like cultural practice or language or religion, I mean, it really does bring people together and it gives you something else to connect on. Yeah, because I'm coming from my perspective, which is like deeply empathetic and highly sensitive and wondering how people could just turn their backs on other people. But I think you're so right in, and I think this is such an important conversation beyond COVID, beyond religion, in just tolerance and and not like what I was talking about before with not meeting, like if you're anti-Trump, not meeting Trump supporters with hate, because then you're just creating this cycle that keeps chasing its own tail. And I think that's such an important thing to point out. And I'm so glad you said that because that really is the key is, is having compassion for people that are not gonna agree with you is really the only pathway to understanding and to communication and breaking down walls and building tolerance or building acceptance. I don't even know if tolerance is the appropriate term anymore because when you tolerate something, you don't really like it. You're just, you know, right. dealing with it. I, I guess acceptance and acknowledgement and, and actually being able to make change in people's opinions, you're only gonna get there when you meet them with kindness. And that's a real teacher trick too, you know? 
the kid who's giving you the hardest time in class is probably really struggling inside. But I guess to your point as well, where there has to still be integrity on your own side and you still have to have boundaries, where at a certain point I can feel so deeply empathetic for the people who have decided they just can't deal anymore. Mm -hmm. but then when it comes to protecting my own children, I see them putting them, my children at risk with their behavior. That's, I guess, where it's very hard to navigate now because, mm -hmm. but I think you have a great point, but it, it all depends on exactly what world you, you operate in. Yeah. So you have to be mindful of that and not overextend yourself, I guess, is really important too. Well, and I, one of the things that um, I was talking to a professor of mine about is like the fact that we talk about people, not to them. And this is like mm. in our in our relationships and our families, for example, but then also just on like a national level. And I think that to me is where it's problematic, but you can't really talk to people about stuff like that until you have some kind of relationship. And yes. um, so, and I think it's important that people can state their values and where they're coming from. And, you know, the miracle is when people can actually listen to each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the story that I was going to share is that a neighbor of ours at church had a flag out and it said F, this major political figure. And, um, you know, I'm sure that there were some people in the congregation who thought that themselves, but, you know, we were wondering, like, is this even legal to have up? And yeah. um, the person was confronted about it and they took it down. And in part, I think they realized that it was just setting a bad example for children. Um, yeah. But it's that kind of stuff where I think the church could at least say, listen, there's a standard of behavior here <laughs> that we like to adhere to. And yes. they actually responded. And I oh, was so awesome. um, happy about that because I just felt like our presence was kind of calling people to just be a smidgen, you know, more decent. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. So that was my story um, that came to my mind. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, I have to mention... As well, um, coming from a background, like I grew up near Philadelphia and I'm very um, much like a 90s, I guess, third wave feminist. And I was raised by like a feminist and a hippie. And it was like this really interesting background and then being catapulted into the Pennsylvania Dutch culture and, and our community, I was actually really intimidated that I was gonna be met with a lot of um, resistance and uh, really, 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 really worried about that. Just because of how my family presented what Pennsylvania Dutch people were like right, and, and what this right. area was like and how the people thought and everything like that. But I've been so blown away with, and, and maybe it's because most of the people that I'm thinking of in my head in our community that are more of the leaders or the elders um, are, are religious and do maybe have that that way of being like you're talking about with a standard of what did you call it? <laughs> I forget how you heard it. it decency. Was really, yeah. Like decency, because, you know, I know we think differently politically and I know we're very different people, but we all sit at the same table and we break bread together and we have this amazing exchange where we all bring such different perspectives to the table. And it's really, that is very hopeful and encouraging to me to see um, people from such different backgrounds come together and, for, for a common cause that's, you know, like looking beyond all that. And, and, you know, it's interesting because now it's like, they call it identity collectors. Um, or I guess another word for it would be uh, virtue signaling. I don't know if that's like yeah, a word yeah, you've yeah. heard of, but just like this idea where you have to like immediately present yourself with all of the different identities you identify as. And, and really for me as like an introvert and somebody who, always like was met with resistance if I were to do that that feels really uncomfortable for me and I like but then there's a fine line like you mentioned where you also there's kind of a responsibility to as well not be um standing by and allowing something to happen that's clearly um inappropriate hateful or inappropriate or you know not the way that we for example I guess I could say now that I'm in the culture and the community, I am not going to let somebody else create a, a um, pocket of hatefulness or anything in our contemporary community. I would not, I would definitely resist that and put up a fight. No, this is not who we are. This is not how this is going to be, or even just be exclusive and ask that no one be included. That's not necessarily like of the lineage or heritage or bloodline or whatever um, that I would not stand for now that we're here and we have established this, 
community of inclusion, including people that aren't necessarily Pennsylvania Dutch and just interested, you know. Um, I'm an so, example of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and it's not very overt, you know, there's still some of that in our community. It's not very overt, but isn't it always sort of like that when you get into those real strange pockets of society. But um, I think that's a really interesting nuance to mention, though, what you said about keeping the integrity, because sometimes I feel like probably in your position as well, being such a person that people come to in, in some of their darkest and most um, desperate times, certainly that must deplete you. And at some point you need to have some boundaries for yourself as well to make sure that your cup stays filled. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah. I think be a good job at seminary teaching you about that. And um, yeah, yeah. So, and certainly like, I was just thinking, Rachel, one of the things, um, there's a Catholic priest, um, Greg Boyle's his name, but he's in Los Angeles. And one of the things he talks about is how kinship is a part of justice work. Yeah, I love that because I, I just, I don't know. I realize I look at, especially the older members in the congregation who are still friends with the people they went to elementary school with. And I think, you know, we are losing that in our society that mm -hmm. we have this sense of community. And um, so I don't know, there's, yeah, you kind of have to unearth some of that stuff. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, you know, just like how we can learn so much from children, we learn so much from the elders too, especially in the Sanger Corps. I always really enjoyed John. And, you know, John getting on stage at the Folk Fest with his daughter and granddaughter with the, I think he was playing, is it called, do I want to say the Bomba? Am I saying it wrong? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a Yeah, that was so cool. Oh my gosh. Just like, oh, all the feels. I mean, I, I told Doug Maidenford, actually, we did an interview and I told him, you know, I felt the Holy Spirit for sure, definitely in church a couple times in my life and in other places. And that's sort of one of the places where I felt it at the I, folk fest during that moment where that everybody's so on sweet. stage and it's just like, like a lightning bolt. It's just wild, you know, it's really was, interesting. We had a um, Holy Humor Sunday service a couple of years ago and John brought his Boomba and um, <laughs> did when the saints go marching in. So that's a <laughs> memory that I have of John. And, He's an absolute joy. Yeah. So he's teaching yeah. his great granddaughter to play the harmonica too. So last time I that's saw him, wonderful. she's about 18 months old. She was. <sighs> oh, that's so cool. How, and how is Sean doing? Is he doing okay? Yeah. He um, is so well taken care of um, by wow. his daughter-in-law and son. And um, that's yeah, amazing. it was a joy to see him. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. He's a wonderful guy. And it was really neat to see him up there and see him with, Maybe it was his great granddaughter. I'm not sure. She was probably around six or so, but it was just neat to see them on stage. It's just, uh, it's such a special event, and it's been so hard. Um, you don't know what you have till it's gone, you know. Oh, true. <laughs> I know. So much we took for granted. Yeah. Yeah. You look back at pictures too, and people were like standing close together, and you just think, oh my, isn't it's it, unbelievable. Yeah. Isn't it funny how it only took us like a year and a half? It's really neat to think of. I mean, not neat, like it's been traumatic, but from a sociological perspective and psychological perspective to just see how quickly our brains adapted to and how strange it feels to be near people. I was near a friend the other day, I was picking my up from an outdoor practice and I didn't have my mask on and I happen to be half vaccinated at the moment. <laughs> okay. And I know these, this family is not vaccinated at all. They're really like against all of this, all of this, all of this. And I remember having like a panicked moment and literally thinking about which way is the breeze blowing? Cause like, I don't have my mask on and like, it was happening to blow by me and then them. So I was like, yeah, okay. But then coming home and just feeling it. Well, I mean, I have like anxiety anyway. So it's like, it's, it's already a lost cause with me, but um, it's very interesting to see how like my brain has definitely changed and how we gave my grandma Olive, our Pennsylvania Dutchie, the Dutchiest, <laughs> such a hard time about the weird things she would do from living through the depression, like weird stuff. And the hoarding, like major hoarding, like very, very traumatic for my mom and her siblings. But it's like, now I, now I understand, will I be wiping off my groceries in 10, 20, 50 <laughs> years? It's so interesting how the brain works like that. But, you know, I hope to your point at the end of us reflecting on this, once we've come out of the crisis of it all, is that we will appreciate those small things again. I think mm. there'll be a lot of people that do. I think so too. I think so to 
gather and have a party you know honestly know. just that Can you imagine yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Are, are you going to be at the event um doug maidenford and chris larose are playing at the north heidelberg church i think it's carol's church on oh my gosh is that tomorrow is that the sixth oh i don't know me. oh maybe well, isn't the the i think sixth, i saw I think. it but i don't think i put it in my calendar i'll have to look it up I, yeah, I don't really know if that's even remotely in your area. All of that oh, area yeah. is all. Yeah, no, it's but, definitely out this way. It's not that but far. But of course, my first thought was, wow, how am I going to navigate this? Because I know some of my friends in our community will feel very comfortable being unmasked. And I'm still such a worrier about it. So it's mm -hmm. just that I know people that love me and care about me are not going to judge me. So it doesn't really matter. It's like I'm walking into the local Walmart where they're angry about it. And, you know, so... It's interesting though, because I want so desperately to do things like this and it seems very, very safe, but the, um, the relationship part of it is very hard and strange, you know? Well, just figuring out what like consent looks like right now, I think around mask wearing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's such a great word for it too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Indeed. Yep. yep. Because there's people walking around, like there's a meme going around that says, you know, you don't know what a person's going through. They might have cancer. They might not have been able to get vaccinated. They might, all these different reasons. And it's very true. And that's, and again, it comes down to just having empathy and, you know, being conscious, conscientious of what other people are going through. Yeah. Well, and setting your own boundaries, but also not, you know, like just some of this kind of violent, aggressive, like take your mask off or put your mask yes. I mean, it's, I don't know. It, yeah, it gets to be. A little Are you guys having that in your area? Because I know my aunt lives out there in, um, I don't know. She lives on Blue Marsh Lake. I forget what it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> she, she has a horse farm right there. So she's real close to you guys. And I know in Boyertown, it definitely has the feels like that. And it's a very strange group of people. Like you wouldn't expect it's like an entitlement of maybe like a higher class and then maybe people that might just not know. And then there's also this super aggressive, yeah. politically charged group of people. And it feels very scary. It is. It's, well, we've been through a lot. I think, talk about trauma. Like, I think that the whole election cycle was like that, mm. at least for me. Like, it, you know, yes. I'm really, I think that those things are tied together in my, in my mind, like just like the trauma yes. of COVID all the election season. And, um, you know, we do, I was thinking when you were talking earlier, Rachel, the Bishop of our Synod had a couple of priorities and one of them was to heal the hurt. And, um, yes. I, I think that's where we're at. Um, yeah. 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 It's really too, I mean, true. And do you, do you feel like the answer might be to kind of reach out to people like that in a very humane way? Like just, hello, just show small, small small acts of kindness i mean how do you how do you recommend people like myself navigate people that are feeling so charged up and so so angry and so aggressive um about it like how do the how do our common folk that are not feeling that way how can we bring them back sort of down to a more reasonable um daily life you know i mean i feel like people are so charged up and, you know, talking about, like, they're going to have their best summer ever. And just, like, this really super wild, like, mm. I, I don't think... know much of the Bible, but <laughs> I keep going back to, like, <laughs> I have to be honest, I keep going back to, like, Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm like, it's feeling kind of like that right now. Like, people are saying, like, we're having our hot girl summer. It's going to be the best summer of our lives. And, like, there's some people like me who are like, oh, man, I can't wait to go to this outdoor concert, like, in my mask and, like, just be around my friends again. And then there's people that are like, we're going to the Hamas and we're just going to live it up. And, like, we're just, we're done with COVID. Goodbye. <laughs> It's just such a divisive, I know we went from like this, this crazy political climate cycle and now it's this, and it just, it's, I just want to make it better. And I'm one of those people and, it, and the time that it takes to make it heal is very hard to wait. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just, but are there small steps you think? Well, I don't know, Rachel. I mean, I think one of the questions is like, how do you de-escalate? Like, I was just thinking oh. about like, like police getting trained in de-escalation. Like, I just think that stuff yeah. is pretty important. Like, not meeting people who are yelling at you with the same kind of energy. Yeah, um, 
that can that takes a lot of self-control um and it does. <laughs> i was thinking about my norwegian great-grandmother who used to say she would <laughs> that's also good wisdom to keep in mind so, some things you can't control so yeah well you know, I go by something Tyler Perry said in an NPR interview, I think with Terry Gross, because <laughs> it was a very monumental, poignant moment for me in dealing with my own um, family members. And it was, he was talking about his father who had been abusive, I think mentally and emotionally. And she was just like, well, have you ever told him how much he hurt you? And he said, listen, you have to understand, you cannot reason with an unreasonable person. Yeah. You just can't. And that's, I have been, that has been my mantra now since I heard it. And it's not really like you're giving up, but if somebody is so charged up and so, uh, oh, I don't even know how to activate it. I guess you could call it like emotionally activated. You cannot reach them even if you try, you know? Not like sure, there's de-escalation strategies. And as a teacher, you learn that too as well. Um, Just in trying to work with students that sort of have, have some issues with with um you know feeling overwhelmed and outbursts and stuff like that um but it's really interesting because it's almost like no Rachel just sit back like it's just gonna take some time it's time and that's hard and that's mm -hmm. really hard mm -hmm. yeah well and then ultimately from them too just having that. yes yeah. yeah and just keep living a life of kindness and and uh some other great words that are yeah. escaping me but you know I try and take time um oh, I just feel like listening is really important you know mm -hmm. can be really there is it yeah I'm sorry there's a comedian I can't think of her name Sarah um oh my gosh I can't think of her name she's a really funny comedian from the 90s and she had a show where she would go she's She's like probably around my age. What the heck is her name? Sarah. I don't know. Are you familiar? Um, anyway, she was Jewish. She, she is Jewish. She's a Jewish woman. And she would go, and this was like her whole platform of the show, was she would go to these communities where they felt very differently politically than her and just meet them in a very human way and just connect with them and show them that, see, we're not that different and kind of convince them to at least give her her ideas and a chance to just hear them out. And I think that's so, so important. And I think that's the work that you do and other pastors that do have good and kind hearts with the right mission in mind and people um, religiously mind, mindset or like through a framework. Um, I know my grandfather was a very faithful person. My Welsh grandfather, he, he had some really great one-liners like one day at a time and take a day by day, which yeah. is basically the same idea, but <laughs> he was all about giving people time and loving people no matter, you know, you know, within reason, but it's really powerful. Just, you know, taking time. I think I need a new mantra. <laughs> <laughs> like time heals, you know, <laughs> I don't know something. <laughs> time is hard. Yeah, and love heals too. I was thinking about in the AA community, you know, um, you say yes. that I mean, that's another one too that is important. I was just thinking that, yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a really good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of um, wisdom to be had. Um, so, and yeah, I. <laughs> I have another thought that's not related, so um, I don't know where you want to go from here, but um, I was thinking, Rachel, about um, like feminism and um, kind of the like perspective that you might have about, like I'm certainly my mom's German family, like there was definitely like patriarchy, like it's just kind yeah. of built the system. But one of the things I've noticed here is like, there's some really feisty Pennsylvania Dutch women and um, mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily expect that. And I, so I, I don't know, I just think it's more complicated. Like I, it's, it's wonderful once you're in a community, you realize like it's yes. just, um, as someone said like cultures make sense on the inside and they make no sense on the outside. And that's um, so true. I think it is true. And it's also just a privilege. Like I remember a couple years ago, Patrick 
Dunmar invited me to something and said I was an honorary member of the community and I was so touched by that um, because I had been, sort of been here long enough to kind of have a peek on the inside of the house, you know, so. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good point too because it's like on paper, yeah, um, it may seem like it's a patriarchal um, culture, but really it's the ladies running it. Well, it's really true. <laughs> It's really, that's a very good, very, very good point, especially in my family. It's very, very interesting. I think the, the only other thing that I kind of wanted to touch on with you, which um, when I, I had my daughter, Maya, my eldest, and I became a single mom and my mom was still involved. I, we were staying, we were living with her and she was still involved with her church, the hippie church I mentioned, Yeah, yeah. Um, the UCC. And I know they had a pastor, Susan, and she and, and again, I, I, I mentioned that I was very lost in, in religion and felt, you know, I just kind of didn't deal with it because it was, it was too much feeling um, unwelcomed and just really insecure and unsafe in, in those environments. Not, not like physically, but just not feeling like, you know, a safety, a feeling of comfort and safety as a kid. Um, but anyway, so she, she started to kind of broach on you know, she identified as a feminist and a pastor um, in the UCC church, and she was also a lesbian, and they were open and affirming, and and the way she talked about it and framed it for me made me feel comfortable with it. Like, it was almost like I needed it to be packaged for me in a contemporary, like, framework, which I think just having listened to the few sermons that I did with you, it really helped me to kind of compartmentalize in my head the things that I feel are my memories of what the Bible was teaching and what the purpose was. But then actually seeing it in action, it's kind of like what you talked about with the culture. Like it's very different from the outside. It mm -hmm. doesn't make sense than, than the inside. And, 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 you know, just getting into like, well, who actually wrote, who actually wrote the Bible and, and how was it translated? And, you know, I've never felt, in fact, at my, Catholic high school and ninth grade, our, our history teacher said, it's not meant to be followed as, this is such a dumb thing to say, but as gospel, right? <laughs> Even my religion teacher, it's a very <laughs> ironic thing to say, but um, he presented it like it's more like poetic and it's more like, you know, um, oh, what's the English word that I want? Um, Anyway, anyway, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't know much about Lutherism. Is that the way to say it? Lutheranism, yeah, yeah, Lutheranism. Lutheranism. Yeah. I know only what Doug, he's very, very into Martin Luther. He's, he's my buddy, but um, is there room in, in your congregation and in your, in your, um, in the Lutheran perspective for, um, kind of looking at the Bible in a more contemporary way or is it or is it more I don't know yeah well <laughs> does that oh, make sense what I'm asking you I um is it more open for interpretation I guess well you have to interpret the Bible I mean sure. it, it's way too like remote culturally speaking like and um so you you have to interpret it and when people say they take it literally like the Bible itself contradicts itself. And so yes. like that's one of the issues. Um, it also says like, if your children disobey, you should stone them to death. Like, right. so, I mean, there are things in the Bible that we don't want to take literally. Um, Clearly, right. And the way that Lutherans understand the Bible, and, and this is directly from Martin Luther, is that it's the cradle of Christ and that the way that we interpret the Bible is through the lens of the gospel and that Jesus is good news, not bad news. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, the spirit with which we read the Bible is also really important. And so, yeah. you know, that's a, Lutherans read the Bible with good news lenses on and, um, and, and through the person of Jesus um, and the way he lived his life, um, the kind of death he was, you know, willing to die for the sake of love and the resurrection that, you know, shows that God wins in the end, right? I mean, these are all, that, that's the way that we interpret it and that's our grounding. So, um, I, I, unfortunately, I think the Bible becomes a weapon, and um, yeah. you know the first heart that it should pierce is my own uh, when I read it. Um, that's you know it's a mirror, I think, and also um, we view the Bible as alive, like still continuing to speak 
the word of God, like that God still has a message for us. Um, and so it should be, it should feel alive. It should feel contemporary and it should breathe. Um, my dad used to um, draw eyes on the front of his Bible, Rachel, um, wow. to say that, you know, God's peeking out at you through this thing. Like, not, I guess wow. it's sort of creepy, but no, the way that, you meant you know, it was like that. that stuff. <laughs> yeah, so no, cool. I mean, I guess he was just trying to say, like, this isn't a dead book. Like, there's a wow. relationship we have um, with scripture. And we're not, if we're reading our own perspective into the Bible, um, that's called eisegesis, the Greek word. And so we're trying to do exegesis, which is say, you know, what is the living um, word that God is still speaking out of this really ancient story? Um, right. I hope that puts it a little bit more. No, that's wonderful. Wow, that's really, you know, nothing's weird to me. I love that. <laughs> I love that idea because I'm all about um, using symbolism to remind yourself of things mm. that you need daily reminders of. So I think that's a really neat way to um, to package that. No, I guess I, I guess I was asking because I'm not that familiar with um, Lutheranism, um, but I felt that way in my experience of Catholicism, just my personal experience. Um, I have lots of loved, loved like friends and family members that are Catholics and really was surprised at the large amount of um, Catholics in our area now. I, I mean, I just was surprised. I don't know why. <laughs> um, my family, the only one thing that really was sort of intolerant in our family um, as my grandfather was being raised and he was Welsh um, was they were really intolerant of Catholics at that oh, time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there was that, um, and I'm not really sure why, but it's, it was surprising to me to see, um, so many Catholic church and like, uh, no, we live near, uh, Padre Pia, the museum or, you know, the, um, I don't know what they call it, but you know, it's really fascinating to see that when I just remember that not, not really hateful, from him, my grandfather, but I guess his family felt that way. And I'm really not sure the history of that, but I think you brought up a lot of really good points and you did answer my question. I think it would be interesting now as a 40 year old mm. to go back and sort of read it in my, in my body and my perspective now, um, having experienced a lot of different religions and still kind of looking for, I think, I think where people go wrong, myself included, is looking for like one thing, one identity to collect that fits and makes you feel whole and it's just not that way yeah you can't feel whole from one thing and i don't think it's fair to use religion to fill a void in you that maybe is not meant to be filled by religion but to use it more as like a tool to navigate the world and a well, perspective would you say instead of rather your identity like it's not an identity you can identify as a certain religion but not this hmm. isn't going to fit inside of me and make everything painful go away, you know, and searching and searching and searching. I still haven't found that religion. So clearly right. there's, right. that's not the right way to look at things, but I would, I, I will have to kind of look back and see um, how it would feel reading it now as an adult, you know? Well, let me see. Really interesting. Do, like as in our tradition, like um, I, I don't find it very helpful to read the Bible in isolation. I'll be honest. Like I, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Probably by myself idea. so like that's why in our we also have bible studies and like yeah. i don't know it just doesn't it, like i think it needs to community and that's also something i think in our world rachel where it's like kind of like figure it all out for yourself and like curate your your digital mm -hmm. life and like i yes. mean we're just it's like so much pressure and the reality so is like isolated. i don't think we do <laughs> like it's just we all kind of grope toward the light and yep. if you can do that like alongside like siblings and like I don't know. That's we need each other on the journey and um, trying to. I don't know. Think that you're gonna find some magic bullet. Is as you say, it's just not realistic. Um, so. That's a really good point. I think you know something I've learned. I loved having my kids home this year, but just seeing the isolation affect them, and they're really young. Um, especially my 13 year old. It's really interesting because you think it seems so well and good to learn these things kind of isolated, but it's so different not learning as a community and so much of the way we learn how to be in the world comes from our experiences with others. And I think that's a really great point mm -hmm. and why it's so invaluable to, you know, safely, but still, still get out there and make those connections. You know, it's really neat. We do have that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that advice. That's really good. Um, my, my sister-in-law is a pastor minister and she is part of a, 
very progressive blank slate, I think it's called out here in Allentown. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them, but she's a wonderful person. And she did um, this really neat survey of where people are coming from with religion. But she was kind of encouraging me to, um, in this darkness that I mentioned, to reach out and become part of these sort of groups and Bible studies. But it felt really, it just felt, I get really scared by people when they are too aggressive, I guess. And, and they may mean well, but that really turns me off. So that's one thing that I really appreciate about you. And I feel like, you know, you feel very, this will sound very strange, but like Christ, like in that, what I imagine he must've felt like to people where if you wanted to approach them, you could, and you could feel safe, but he wasn't making you approach him, you know? And I really want to tell you how much I value that in you. Um, just as a person interacting with you, but also within a religious, religious context, um, because that can be really off-putting for people like myself who are kind of scared of the pushier aspects of what religious can be. So I appreciate that very much in, in the way that you practice what you do. Well, and I'd say too, like I, I kind of grew up in that context also myself feeling weird, like when it got like, yes. is Jesus in your heart? And like, blah, blah. and it's, I mean, it's just too much. And it's so um, much, yeah. I think like, I understand where people are coming from, but again, like, I think everyone's on their own journey and like, I, yeah. you know, you can do whatever you're going to do, but like, it's, people are responsible for that. Um, and yes. they you to grow and change and you have to trust that God's working in their life and it's way beyond you. So yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that that's, um, someone asked me about evangelism and I, you know, I think like we do that best by just being who we are and by valuing like what we get <laughs> from religion and, and, right. um, you know, being grounded in that story and, and then sharing it with others. So, yeah, it's, like I said, it's, com it's a complicated cultural moment, but, um, yes. if I can be grounded in where I'm coming from, that it, it helps me. Um, yeah. And, and also in modeling, you know, that, that practice as well, just the more people like myself who have been so lost that see that model in a religious um, leader, it's, it's very healing for people mm -hmm. that have had bad experiences. So it's also working that way. And I just really, really value that and appreciate that. And I'm so glad that I know you and that I got to know you. And I can't wait to see you again and be able to sing again together. That will be so nice. Yep, and I um, I have my mask with. Um, oh, that's so neat! <laughs> you guys are the coolest. That that really just made my entire maybe year because that was such an act of random kindness, and I was just, it was such a collective effort. Um, Inga, 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 Inga. <laughs> See, I want to say Inga, Inga, Inga. Okay. Inga and Claudia and who else was involved in that? I don't know who made the masks, but you guys. Well, it was a prisoner of mine who. That um, is so cool. I yeah, mean, that yeah. Was the coolest thing ever. Very, yeah. very blown away. They ordered the uh, Nixon fabric that I created for my thesis and then made these beautiful masks out of them and then sent them off. Did you also get a sticker about, um, I, I forget what it says, but. I put really, it on the outside of my office, Rachel, so people can see There's it. some really neat stuff going on here. It's really neat. Exciting. And I just got Michael's book in the mail, too. So, <gasps> How did you get it? I tried to order it, and I couldn't understand what was happening. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, by speaking high it. German. That's how we go. Oh, you know, it's so... I feel like you're reading my mind right now because you brought up a couple of things right after I was thinking it. But I was just thinking about saying how Mikhail Warner... Warner um, is so open as well about religion and perspective and, and, and just being very um, open to different perspectives. And I really value that in him as well, because he kind of reminds me of the feeling that I get from you, just like a safety in expressing myself and sharing how I feel and then getting his, you know, being there to listen and have a nice exchange and not necessarily come from the same background, but just being able to share ideas. He's, he's a really great guy too. I can't wait to see the book. Do they, are you in the book? No, no, I'm not, but I wanted to support it. And I, um, that's awesome. Kind of think and you could probably read it. 
Ja, ich kann es lesen. And um, it's, it's great. Um, and it's so funny cool. too, I think that I, having been an exchange student, like I sort of understand seeing Berks County from like German eyes. And so it's, it's fun to read because there's some things that are just so perplexing to Germans sometimes here. You know? sure. And I love that like they, there's so many things that are like kin, but things that are also just like don't make any sense. And I think that's the beautiful thing about cultural exchange is like, yeah. The truth you're just gonna have things you really admire and other things that that you know don't make sense and it's just such a cool concept you know making a tour guide for germans to come and visit i mean how amazing i remember i interviewed him during covid the whole podcast thing started to just get me to connect with people so i didn't become isolated you know um, and it really helped me through this time but it was just such a fascinating idea. I mean, he's such such a valuable part of the community. And again, what a blessing because he's he's able to connect with us through technology. So, so, so wonderful. Big shout out to Dr. Werner. Yep. Definitely. Can't wait to get the new book. I'm excited. Yeah, it's really cool. And the great, the graphics are amazing. So they did a great job with it. Yeah. Well, Inga, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. This has been wonderful. All the things that I thought it would be, and I just really, really appreciate your time and your openness to have this discussion with me and um, kind of give us some, some idea of a direction with where to go from here, just kind of navigating, getting back out there and interacting with folks. <laughs> I appreciate all the help I can get. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel, for having me. It's a real honor. Thank you so much for taking the time and hope to see you soon. Righty. All right, Max Good. Oh, oh, Good. wait. How can we follow you? Where um so we can follow the page and are you guys still doing Zoom? Um are you still having a live stream or anything for the kind no, of we're still on live stream, Freedom Oh wonderful. So yeah, we're on every okay, Sunday. Great. Yep. Is that okay if I link that then? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Not, we're at 9.30 now for summer. Um, so. Okay, great. Facebook's so wonderful. I'll get a notification. I'll be like, oh, nice. Like, let me get on this. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. And Max Scoot. Max Scoot.